Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go. And like a phoenix rising from the ashes, ladies and gentlemen, it's Rock Out Lead. This is Rock Out Loud's look at the works of Led Zeppelin. Uh, and I quote Jack Black, the greatest rock band of all time. So that's what we're doing here. And of course, because, look, I can't do this by myself. I'm a fan, but I'm not a biggest fan as this guy. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome back to Rock Out Lead. Glad to have him along for the ride. I guess the best way to introduce him is the way that we always hear him introduced as my good friend and yours from Chicago, <laughs> Jimmy Mack. Hey, Steve. Hey, Zepheads. Yeah, it's been too long, Steve. We've been wanting to get together and tackle Led Zeppelin 2 since we wrapped up uh, our review of the first album. And so I'm really excited because this album, Led Zeppelin 2, this is my gateway album. This is what opened up my eyes and my ears to Led Zeppelin when I was a kid. I had this on cassette. It was a Christmas gift. I want to say Christmas 83, maybe, or 82. Mm -hmm. And something tells me that it wasn't even gifted to me properly. It was given to my brother. And I ended up stealing it from him. And I still have it in my collection today. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to put that out right here, right now. That very cassette tape is uh, downstairs in my crawl space. Um, but uh, I'll tell you what. And oh, something else about the cassette. Just before we start digging deep into the album, the cassette had a completely different rundown track listing wise than the album did, which was really weird because the cassette tape had Heartbreaker ending the first side and picked up with Thank You starting side two. Oh, wow. And then after Thank You, it went into Living Loving Made. Or I should say, no, it is Living Loving. It's not Living Loving Made. Right. Um, but yeah, Living Loving Made. So, um, which is weird because we're so used to hearing those two tracks, Heartbreaker and yeah. Living Loving Made, play together. But on the cassette tape, it was separated. So, But we'll get, uh, we'll get into all of that uh, specific stuff as we start tearing this album apart, track by track. Me and Steve... Here on Rock Out Lead. Yeah. So uh, before we before we do all that, Jim, we did have a couple of emails sent in, and uh, one came from Brian Beatty, who was talking about. Uh, he says Zeppelin's been his favorite band for most of his life, and his wife still jokes that that she bought him the the full ten disc box set when they were dating, and that's why I asked her to marry him. Oh, nice. Um, and he was comparing uh, two of two of our loves. He was comparing uh, Led Zeppelin to the creators of Star Wars. And he says that Paige reminds him of George Lucas taking prior work from lots of sources, sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly, and fusing it into something old and new at the same time. Yeah, and also what else uh, Zeppelin did that was similar to Lucas is they they worked outside the system a lot. They took full ownership of their material and and their output and and everything about them. They really ran their operation with an iron fist, and that's courtesy of their manager, Peter Grant, who definitely helped Led Zeppelin 
maintain autonomy in, in the fact that they really worked outside of what was considered traditional industry standards at the time as far as releasing singles. Led Zeppelin never went in and recorded a single. They always recorded albums and singles were plucked from the album, which was uncommon for the time. Hmm. Which was a, a lot of albums that bands from the 60s have uh, released often are compilation albums of singles that they put oh, out. Wow. Okay. Because that was the desired format of the day. And uh, album oriented <clears throat> uh, uh, music really came into the forefront with the rise of FM radio in the States. And uh, things of that nature. But back in the uh, 60s, you're still dealing with a public that primarily got their music from AM radio. And the way that the radio stations got the music was via the 45. And uh, so that's what uh, Led Zeppelin worked outside that and said, hey, listen, if you want to hear our music, we're not going to single anything out. We're putting it all on platter and you have to spin it all and listen to it and enjoy it. And that's what I think really helped contribute to the fact that track by track this group released classic after classic there are very few if any tracks in Led Zeppelin's entire catalog that you can say is a filler or a throwaway mm -hmm. it's uh you know some of the band members they have different opinions of that sure <laughs> But when you go through all their studio albums, it's just one classic after another. And just about every album, you can pick any track off of any of those albums and you'll realize, oh, my God, this is and has been for decades an FM radio standard. And yeah. this is all from a band that never released a single. Yeah. And and what's what's really interesting is you really see that come I mean, of course, we saw it on the first album, but even more so, I feel like, here on Led Zeppelin 2, where it seems like it's just one right after another, after another, after another, after another, that's just... And one of my favorite Zeppelin songs is, is on Led Zeppelin 2, so, of course, I have a special place in my heart for this album. Oh, my gosh. Many of my favorite, um, favorite are on this album. There's no question about it. And something that adds a lot to the energy... Uh, of Led Zeppelin II is the fact that it was all recorded on the road. Zeppelin was very aggressively touring the States and just all over the year. I mean, they were in Europe. They must have done, they must have done four to seven concert tours in 1969 alone. I mean, isn't that ridiculous to think of? It's, I mean, it, it's, it's all just one long tour, but they get broken up into different things sure. and they would, they would keep touring Europe. They would keep coming back to America. They were starting to really get um, a stranglehold on crowds in San Francisco, in L.A., in New York, in Chicago. And uh, especially in San Francisco when they began playing places like the Fillmore and those legendary auditoriums that were really the the center or the focus of the rock music scene in the late 60s, mm -hmm. San Francisco. And uh, so Zeppelin was really starting to um, gain some ground and really starting to uh, be heard by people. So um, a, a lot of energy in this album. And Jimmy Page's riffs. I think this is the most riff-heavy Led Zeppelin album. Mm -hmm. And the one where Jimmy Page really established what could be considered the signature Zeppelin 
style and sound. It's it's hard to pinpoint something like that because they're a band of such versatility and variety and diversity. They'll go off in any direction. But Led Zeppelin II really does something to establish the overall signature Zeppelin sound. And I think that's due to all these great riffs that Jimmy Page whipped up for this album. Agreed. I And, and I'll tell you this, I, my mind was blown as I recognized what you were just saying. They were touring and recording at the same time. Led Zeppelin I was released in January of 69, and this album released in October of 69. So less than a year later, they've got a full album out that they've recorded in the midst of touring in the midst of uh in the midst of that lifestyle they're they're bouncing back and forth they're recording in the u.s and and in the uk <clears throat> and um and then it'd be a year later that three would come out this is not modern day record releases you know nowadays someone releases an album and, and it may be three years oh yeah before before course. we hear anything new from them again and right, right. this is in a a completely different it seems like a completely different work ethic a completely different style of doing things it 12 times platinum this thing has gone since ni- uh, as of 1999 so wow yeah i mean it was it was a lot of hard work was required back then because they don't have they didn't have all the avenues to promote themselves mm-hmm. that music does now there were no music videos like i said fm radio was barely a blip on the map Okay, so these guys had to keep releasing stuff. They had to keep product on the shelves, fresh product, and they had to keep hitting the road because that's the way people heard their music was by actually going to the shows. You know, a lot of people would walk into rock shows in the the 60s and they wouldn't really be entirely sure what they were going to get. Uh, you know, the people weren't walking around with iPods and yeah. all their favorite music on music on there. You know, and iTunes Genius or whatever that is. It's, <laughs> People were, you know, hearing things on the radio. They were getting turned on to albums by friends, and uh, they were going to concerts. That's how the industry worked back then. And uh, you know, it's also interesting to think about like these. The record companies would would have relationships with DJs across the country. Oh yeah, where you know where they would they they would you know give them special favors or whatever the case may be to make mm-hmm. sure this record gets in rotation. You know, to make sure they're spinning this flat track of black wax, and um, and and you had DJs that became, especially in some of your bigger markets, as big a celebrities as people you'd see on the TV screen or or on the movie screen. Yeah, and they would get credit historically for being the guy who broke this band on the radio. You know, this is the guy who introduced the world to. This band, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of DJs, I even know some guys here in Chicago who can, you know, they stake their claim on being the DJs who introduce the world to bands like Styx is oh, a wow. good example. They're they're uh, an Illinois band and Cheap Trick. There's another band, you know, they're uh, over at WLS, that AM radio station had a lot to do with those artists breaking through and becoming 
rock and roll hall of famers, you know, building up huge careers where they became known internationally. So, uh, yeah, the DJs did have a lot to do with that. And a lot of times they would get these record albums from the labels and, uh, you know, a a representative from the label would come by and, uh, they'd go into the office for a while and, you know, behind closed doors, you hear a lot of laughs and stuff. And then the, the, the guy from the record company would split, leaving the program director sitting there with a stack of albums. And then they go to pull an album out and what's this all a little packet of powder here i don't know what this is uh, yeah but i mean that's just, yeah, th- there were laws passed because so many record companies were actually buying off djs mm-hmm. you know with cold hard cash so um Congress had to pass legislation against what's known as payola, the payola act which basically uh, makes that sort of practice illegal and it should be um, but, um, like I said, there were other ways of, uh, winning the DJ's favors, you know, <laughs> paging Dr. Johnny fever. Um, but, uh, did you ever watch WKRP in Cincinnati? Yeah. 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 Now see, that's, that's a TV show that actually has, I mean, just a, a gigantic, uh, grasp of the reality of the situation <laughs> of what goes on at radio stations. But let's get back to Zeppelin sure. and start. Let's tear apart Zeppelin 2 track by track. Well, we had one other emailer with a question for you. Jim. Oh, I'm sorry. No, We're that's still okay. in uh, listener feedback. That's okay. okay. Yeah, we had one did, other. Did we answer that question? Well, from, uh, yeah, yeah. Was he was just he was just impressed. He was talking about the, the uh, connections that he made between Paige and Lucas. And, and we just went off on a tangent. Oh, um, did we ever? Yeah. But um, he's right, though. Yes. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Page, he was very hands-on, like George Lucas was very hands-on, um, it, with the post-production process. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Page produced the albums of Led Zeppelin. He mixed them down in the studio. He re- he, he oversaw the, the recording and the mastering. And, of course, he performed. And uh, so... It, he definitely Jimmy Page is definitely much more than a one-trick pony. He's much more than a rock guitar god. He's a really creative and innovative producer in the studio, much like George Lucas. Mm. And he's been known to fund his own projects, much, much like, like George, George Lucas. Lucas. Yeah. So taking well, a lot of ownership for what they do. Cameron uh, also emailed us a while back, and uh, one of the things he he turned me on to that I didn't realize existed, and I don't, I think we may have spoken of it, and I, I can't remember if we did, but uh, it was the Black Crows with Jimmy Page, and I didn't realize that uh, he'd done a, some sessions with the Black Crows, and um, and I had to hunt that down because I, I I like I dig the Black Crows. Um, they've got a good classic Southern rock feel to them, uh, a little dirty, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I always liked them, but his question was uh, about um, uh, a John Bonham getting the bass drum rhythm on "Good Times Bad Times" from Carmine Appice, and he said he's I guess I'm pronouncing Carmine's last name right. Um, oh, his his last name. Okay, there are two or drummers. a well, there's two drummers from the family, Vinny mm-hmm. and Carmine. Right. Carmine is probably best known for his work with Vanilla Fudge. Vinny for his work with Black Sabbath and Dio right. and Ozzy. But um, they it's funny, they're brothers, but they both pronounce their last names differently. Carmine Apice. Apice, okay. And, uh, no, I'm sorry, Carmine Apice. Mm-hmm. That's how Carmine says his last name. And then Vinny pronounces it Apice. Okay, yeah. So I've always gone with Apathy mm-hmm. because I grew up a Black Sabbath and Dio fan, and that's how I was really introduced right, to the right. brothers. Sure. 
And I actually saw them perform last summer at the Arcata Theater in a show called Drum Wars. Oh, nice. And it was amazing. The two brothers on stage playing all sort of heavy metal from throughout their careers and the bands that they've been with. But he oh so he, you're saying he got the the, the riff he said from yeah Carmine. Cameron says he saw an interview with Carmine and he and he took credit for the bass drum rhythm rip on <laughs> Good Times Bad Times and 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 Cameron's wondering if he was right or not if you've ever heard this before I, this is one I've not heard before and uh, it would mean something if that came from John Bonham mm-hmm. or even from Jason Bonham but with it coming from Carmine himself. Boy, oh boy, I don't know where he gets that from. And if Drum Wars ever does come back to the Arcata Theater, I will ask Carmine this. Because um, it was really cool. They sat in the lobby and signed autographs for everyone after the show. But, um, you know, uh, I'm not- I, I've never heard this before. Carmine Apice, great drummer, no mm-hmm. question about it. Um, but I don't, I'm not aware of him having influence on... A guy like uh, John Bonham. I know John Bonham was very influenced by Ginger Baker, if you want to talk about contemporary drummers, rock drummers, and also very influenced by Buddy Rich. Um, but I've never heard of uh, Carmine Apice being, or Vinny, or <laughs> Carmine Apice. <It's>, right. <laughs> <gasps> Those crazy Apice brothers. I'm going to uh, start pronouncing my last name different from my family, I think. I'll, I'll have to work on that. But you have to have a brother who gets into podcasting. Oh, that's so true. You guys, you guys are both in the same industry doing the same thing. That's true. Both with the same last names pronounced differently. Yeah. I mean, you can't even plan that. No. Uh-uh. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I've never heard of, of, of Carmine being an influence on Bonzo. Well, and I'm not a, I'm not a musician by any stretch of the imagination, but I, can't, I cannot fathom, hey, you've got this rhythm from me. You stole, I mean, come on. It's, well, everyone wants to beat up Led Zeppelin and say sure. he stole from them, you sure. know. I mean, Spirit just filed an appeal in oh, their wow. court, their case against Led Zeppelin uh, that was wrapped up uh, last year over uh, Stairway to Heaven. It's just everyone wants their piece of the pie. Yeah. Wow. Um, Boy, imagine if Led Zeppelin started suing the people who borrowed from them or who were influenced by them. I mean, the lawsuits would never stop. Led Zeppelin, the most influential rock band of all time. Uh, well, at least hard rock band of mm-hmm. all time. Let's yep. be specific. Sure. Okay, it's hard to pinpoint any singular, singular band as being the most influential of all time. And some bands are influential within different spheres of each, spheres of each other. So, you know, I, I don't want to be making any huge statements like that. But I do think we can say that Led Zeppelin was the most influential hard rock band. So specifically, yeah. yeah, I think they were. Well, let's get into this thing, Jim. Um, one of the things we talk about a lot of times on on Rock Out Loud, especially if we're able to cover two albums that are back to back this way, is uh, imagine now if you got in on the ground floor with Zeppelin One, and let's say you've been living with this thing for six to eight months, and the last track, how many more times is a eight and a half minute long? Uh, almost a jam session kind of thing, just really groovy, and then it'll ramp up and come back down, all this kind of stuff. And that's and that was and, and for eight months, six to eight months, you've been living with that. And then you walk into your 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 record shop, and, and there's another one. You're like, hey, I really lo- I dig this band. They're sounding great. I, I got to grab this thing, and you drop the needle, and and you start out with this track. I. I a whole lot of love that I think works as a great first track. Let's listen to a little bit of it. 
I mean, it's an incredible first track. It's it's a great way to introduce or reintroduce this band uh, on the vinyl. Yeah, and it, it it's really easy to sort of chart their progression as a cohesive unit and as a band who's had time to work out their material. Let's face it, Led Zeppelin One was sort of a it was very much like a cream album in many ways mm. in my opinion where it served up heavy hard blues okay but you have plant especially in a song like how many more times which you mentioned was the final track to led zeppelin one um you hear plant doing a lot of the stuff that would become really his trademark mm-hmm. the whale the improv improvised screaming and really sexed up sound and you hear that coming more to the forefront on Led Zeppelin 2 and especially with Whole Lot of Love. Whole Lot of Love just blasts out of the speakers. It's it's a better sounding track than anything I think we hear on Led Zeppelin 1 because Page had more time in the studio to perfect the sound and to employ more of his creative production techniques. In the song you hear things like reverse echo. You hear that complete middle section that's complete cacophony and mm-hmm. he's using a theremin and you know I mean music audiences were used to uh hearing the theremin used the way the Beach Boys would in, employ right. you know employ it into a song where it was a little more melodic and uh, that's that high whistle sound sure. you hear uh, Jimmy Page do. And it's the way the theremin works is it's you have this uh, this this electronic field between antenna and when you move your hand through the field on the antenna and amplify it 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 creates all these high-pitched squeals and screeches screeches you could really hear it on a song like good vibrations by the beach boys and uh, uh songs like that but but page used it in a far more uh, uh abstract way yes just uh very avant-garde in his approach and which is kind of psychedelic in a way it's a post-psychedelic 
way to implement sound into a song. It's like this is what was left over from the hippie generation of the sixties. <laughs> but it's now also, you now you have Led Zeppelin. Yeah, okay, well, deal it, with it. <laughs> it's almost like yeah, this is what's left over from the hippie generation. And we're going to chew it up and spit it out. Right, right. We're going to feed it to a bulldog. Yeah. And <laughs> so it, it, it's uh, it, it's really um, just so creative. Yes. And um, and something and, and of course Bonham his his drum playing throughout the song is just completely off the hook. The, the way that John Paul Jones's bass lines follow along with Page's riffs just really adds all that thick bottom to it and thus you're hearing a whole new form of rock and roll being created uh through this 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 amalgam of musical styles and approaches and experimentation it all just makes a whole lot of love what it is of course whole lot of love is uh, an old blues song by willie dixon which was recorded by muddy waters you need love um, and it's just reworked to be a whole lot of love. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, one time at the Chicago Blues Fest when I was a kid, I was like a teenager or something, I, I had the opportunity to meet Willie Dixon's wife. And I was chatting her up and then, you know, just asking her all these questions about Willie and his music. And she just was talking and then stopped and looked at me for a second, kind of gave me the up and down. And she goes, you're a Led Zeppelin fan, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, Led Zeppelin introduced me to Willie Dixon. So um, I'll just never forget that. That sudden stop in conversation. It's like, I'm like, like, oh, my God, I've been outed. It's like that episode of Big Bang Theory where Sheldon ambushes James Earl Jones at his favorite sushi restaurant. And James is like, let me guess, you like Star Wars. And Sheldon just nods. He's like, let me tell you something. I like Star Wars, too. Sit down. Um, <laughs> Let's chew the fat. But uh, it's um, <laughs> that's what it felt like. Um, but I mean, it's true that Led Zeppelin introduced all kind of kids to classic American blues music. Yeah. And it's funny because when Led Zeppelin first came to the States and they were playing songs like I Can't Quit You and uh, You Shook Me, um, they thought that American kids would be like, yeah, go crazy because they believed that American kids were as fluent in American blues right? <laughs> as the kids in England were, but that wasn't the case at all. The kids in England were listening to the American blues. <laughs> White kids weren't listening to American blues back then. Well, unless they were extremely, uh, you know, cool. Right. But, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, it had to start somewhere and bands like the stones and Zeppelin and, um, and uh, other bands, uh, the Yardbirds. There's another one that, another band that dipped into uh, American blues. Cream. Uh, they they really turned kids like me onto the great American blues masters. I would have never sought out Muddy Waters if it wasn't for the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones. I would have never sought out Willie Dixon and 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 Buddy Guy for that matter if it wasn't for Led Zeppelin. I forget when I was watching uh, a couple of weeks back, and and uh, I want to say it was Mick Jagger actually talking about their influence and being influenced by the blues, and, and he said exactly what you just said. He said when we came to the states, mm-hmm. we expected everyone to completely recognize what we were doing, 
And he's like, we didn't realize that the blues weren't as big in the States as they were where we were over in, over in Britain. And, and it was a revelation for them to get over here and find out that, um, yeah, like, like you say, most kids, you know, unless they were just really super cool, weren't into the blues. They just weren't into it. And it's, I mean, it's no different today. It really is no different today. Um, I'm I'm grateful that I live in an area where the blues does thrive in Chicago. There's a great music scene, and there any given night I can go out and see blues local guys to legends, and um, and Buddy Guy is one of them. And I actually did talk to him once about bands like Zeppelin turning American kids onto. His music, blues music. So maybe next time for our second part of the Led Zepp 2 conversation, maybe we could play that interview oh, where cool, I talked yeah. to, I mean, you know, buddy guy, blues legend. Yes, sir. And, uh, and we, we have this very discussion about how the Brits turn American kids onto <laughs> American of all, blues. Of all things, of all things. The other thing I just want to say about the song is it's deceptively complex. Like it sounds... Very simple because it's just a very driving to chunk 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 chunk. But it, but as you laid out, it's so full. Even before you get to that cacophony there in the middle, that break in the middle, it's just so full. The way that they're using every single uh, instrument to it to the fullest on the mix, and you know, then you throw in uh, Plant's vocals, and it's just this. It's this thing that. Like, even sitting here listening to it, having heard it a million times, I'm still just sitting here bobbing my head like, yes, this is rock and roll. This is it, what it, it's It is all amazing. It, it, it has remained so fresh to this day. You can put it on, and it just sounds so good. Yes. And 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 relevant and and crisp. And it's I just love how they come out of the mayhem section mm-hmm. into Jimmy Page's guitar solo there where he's just stabbing you know doing the, these quick flurries between the bomb bomb it's almost like waking up from a nightmare to an air raid sign yes yeah <laughs> oh it's it's beautiful guitar and then the main too. riff oh. takes us out yes. with plant improv- improvising totally sexed up and charged up and just just wailing and uh, the whole band is making a statement with mm-hmm. that song. Yeah, they're making a statement, and of course, FM radio ate it up and loved it and made it iconic. And uh, it's it is a great way to open up the album. Oddly, or maybe not so much, but uh, Zeppelin became very fond of wrapping up their shows with "Whole Lot of Love," mm-hmm. and it would extend into a long blues medley that could go off in any direction. It was largely improvised. That's something that Zeppelin did really well in concerts: is uh, the improvisation that they would do within the tracks themselves. Now, granted, a lot of times if you look at their set lists from tour to tour, you'll notice that there's a lot of similarities night after night after night. You see the same set list. But it's what happens within the songs themselves is what made Led Zeppelin a truly amazing live act and and very versatile and, and always mixing it up live. And it's through the improvisation where Jimmy Page comes up with a lot of these riffs that you hear on Led Zeppelin too. When they would perform Dazed and Confused Live, it could go off to be mm-hmm. a 40-minute long jam. And Page and Jones would just be improvising licks and riffs and solos and and working back and forth with each other and Bonzo and 
and so it would turn into a thing where they would say after the show, hey, man, you know, I really dug that part when we did this in the middle of the song. And then they would just, re- you know, that would become a song itself. Yeah. So it was all just like all happening for the band at this time. Everything was evolving and, and very quickly, too. I might add things were happening. Like you said, the album release schedule was, was happening fast and furious. They were out on tour playing every night and coming up with new material constantly. So while on the road, then they would dip into the studio wherever they were. I mean, they could be in some great places on the sunset strip or in some total dumps in Vancouver. You know, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter. It was, they were playing every night. They were creating and recording and you hear it all come together in zeppelin too it's it's worth mentioning that and i did some research so look at me uh that atlantic records went at went against their wishes and they actually released whole lot of love as a 45 single um but it became a hit for the guys it reached uh number four have you ever heard the single It's, it's missing the entire middle section oh yeah yeah Ugh. It just goes right to the solo. It's awful. And you never, ever hear that 45 played anywhere. Of course not. In, in the age of classic rock, I don't think I've, I've heard it on the radio uh, since prior to 1982. I, you know? I've never heard this song without that without the mayhem section at yeah, all. No, yeah. I've, I've never heard it that. Is. And, and yeah, the, the band was, was pissed as hell at, at Atlantic for doing sure. that. Sure, sure. Well, I... I um, you know the whole mayhem section the first time i ever heard this song it was kind of like what are they doing why is this happening but i couldn't i couldn't stop listening and then there's just something about coming out of that like you said with the chunk chunk and those stabbing guitar riffs that just make this song like now you wait to get to that point and it may and you're just like yes it's building up we're gonna get there yeah and then before you know it you're just you're you're jamming out again oh love Mm -hmm. this song so much yeah, it takes you out. So uh, obviously, one of the all-time classics. Mm-hmm. Whenever they have like uh, the Memorial Day 500 on <laughs> FM, rock your balls off. It's um usually uh, when they do that, a uh, uh, whole lot of love ends up somewhere in the top ten, if mm. not the top three. Yeah, and well all-time, all-time classic yes, rock. And well, stuff. it should. Um, well, let's move along. Where the needle, the needle continues to move on the. That's a metaphor for life. Um, <laughs> uh, to track number two, this is what is and what should never be. And if I say to you tomorrow, take my hand, child, come with me. It's to a castle I will take you. Well, what's to be, they say, will be I guess the wind see it's been sailed away Leave the day way up high in the sky And oh, but the wind won't blow We really shouldn't go Got only enough to show Say to me tomorrow Oh, what fun it all would be And what's to stop us? Uh, 
I love the groove of this song, Jim, so much. I love the groove of this song and those verses, and then just the uh, in your face breaking out rock and roll, yeah. just jamming right up in your right up in your grill, as the young kids say. You know, it's really a song that characterizes Led Zeppelin. It's heavy yet light. It's the Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it goes from those moments where, you know, it's just nice and soft and Robert's really just sort of you know, a little crooning going on. Jimmy's playing a lazy guitar, strumming. And then all of a sudden, oh, oh, I forgot Bonzo's in the room. <laughs> and, then, right. bam, 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 and then you get heavy again. So we go from light to heavy and it happens in the, the, the wink of an eyelid. So, um, well, yeah, definitely, definitely a song that characterizes Led Zeppelin, even down to their name. Well, and the and the baseline throughout that just light moment, oh. you know, I love John Paul Jones's bass playing. Uh, he he makes that thing talk so much, and there's and there's several other places on this album where it happens that I just John Paul Jones is the reason I listen for bass in in rock and roll songs these days because like just the way he would make it talk and add so much, it's just a. It's an amazing thing that I just, it's the groove. I love the groove to what he does in this song. John Paul Jones is an amazing, amazing musician. And, uh, you know, easy to lose Jones in the shuffle because you have some of the biggest rock and roll personalities in the world on stage with Robert standing out front, Jimmy Page, and of course, Bonzo behind the drum kit. He was a, a personality to be reckoned with both on and off stage. And Jones is He's just kind of chill guy, you know, <laughs> extremely capable, you know, uh, he was no saint or anything, but he was definitely more laid back and, and more out of the spotlight than the other guys. That's another thing about Jones's personality on stage is that he would always tend to sort of hang out back in the shadows and leave the spotlight to guys like Jimmy and Robert and let them kind of play off of each other while he was just there kind of, you know, laying down the groove and yeah. listening to Bonzo and playing along with him and, uh, you know, um, just being extremely capable. Um, a lot of the work he does is just downright genius in my opinion. And yes, one of his all-time greatest bass lines happen in what is and what should never be. He really just carries the narrative with Robert at that time. When Bonzo isn't playing at all and Jimmy is just doing a lazy strum, you have Jones laying down this thick groove, this this walking bass line with Robert as uh, he's... Uh, you know, keeping it all in check. It's one of the most disciplined moments for Zeppelin mm -hmm. on the whole album. Mm. Um, and then, of course, Bonzo's here yeah. <laughs> and we take <laughs> off again. So, and then, it, and, you know, listen, rinse and repeat. And uh, that's how the song goes. Until, I mean, J Jimmy Page's guitar solo is absolutely fantastic. I believe he plays a slide guitar solo. And, um, it's just, uh, yeah, another great one that Zeppelin would play live, especially in the uh, early to uh, not quite mid-70s. Uh, I think it was really part of their uh, repertoire all the way up through the 73 tour. Uh, I don't believe it showed up in uh, 75, mm -hmm. 77, or 80, uh, which were their other major world tours. Um, but uh, it was also then revived for Page and Plant, when they hit the road. Oh, wow. And uh, great versions, uh, not with John Paul Jones on bass, right. but uh, still uh, sounding great and uh, giving us that 
light but heavy Led Zeppelin sound. So, uh, yeah, what is it? What should it ever be? The, all right, we're two tracks in, and uh, we're only talking about some of the greatest rock and roll music uh, ever created. Yeah, you go, you go to what Jones was doing again, and it's like he's doing, it's almost a duet with Plant yeah. in those light moments. Yeah, like you know, it's not a it's not a second vocal, but it might as well be. It's like the old bass man back there, um, and and that personality has every band I've ever known or interacted with. The bass players always had that personality, though. Just the the almost too cool for school. Going to lay back here and just lay down your groove for you, and mm-hmm. uh, you guys do your thing. I'm just back here. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of the bass players thing. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've seen bands where they're you know running sure. around on stage. Obviously, you've seen Van Halen. Sure. And you see yes. Michael Anthony. He's he's doing just as much interplay with David or Sammy and uh, Eddie, and you know yep. they're all up on stage running around like a bunch of maniacs. Hey, do yourself a favor. Go back and watch a, a Van Halen live clip from the late seventies. And watch the way these guys are running. These guys are maniacs. All the way they're the running around and playing. I mean, they're. I can't believe some of the acrobatics that's going on in an early Van Halen show. You know, especially after I saw them two summers ago. <laughs> Definitely not the same guys. Um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of foots propped up on some amps, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it, but man, those early tracks. I mean, what a workout! You just yeah. you're, you get out of breath watching them. Yeah, I can't believe it. And David Lee's jumping off the drum riser. I, I can't believe the air he gets. And Eddie is 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 doing the splits in the air while he's soloing. And I'm missing a note. Now Zeppelin, they weren't like that. No, <laughs> Zeppelin was a lot more like we we got our shirts unbuttoned. We're hanging out uh, almost. Almost beach bumming it. It feels like sometimes with those guys. Like here we are, we're just chilling. Yeah, well, you know, that's the seventies was it was like an earthy time. You yeah, know? yeah. And and sure, Van Halen came on the scene in the late seventies, but they were really an eighties band. Oh, agreed. You know, yeah. And 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 that's kind of um, you know the difference, a big difference between the two bands. Not that we were really talking no, about. Well, that, I don't know, but. <laughs> But I mean, you know, it's just sort of the difference, you know, how, how Zeppelin really was a sign of the times and how yeah. it, it's quite possible that um, the reason a reunion, a solid reunion never happened after Bonzo's death is because of the fact that it's not possible to create Led Zeppelin outside of the 70s. Mm. It's like the Beatles in the 60s. Can you bring the Beatles back? No, I mean, for obvious reasons. And, and well, obvious reasons for Zeppelin, too. But any attempts to do so would have the additional handicap of taking it out of its era. Mm-hmm. I believe Led Zeppelin could have reunited and continued to have a great career. But I don't know. Would they have the cultural impact still? I mean, it just seems like Led Zeppelin belongs in the 70s. Sure. Well, and you know they're they're the band for that time, and and anything you get to a certain point, and anything is just nostalgia. After after you you know you you you've set the standard, you've you've broken down the walls, you've influenced everyone, and now no matter what you put out new, it, it's still you're still just seen as a nostalgia act. Yeah, um, that could be. You know, I like Neil I, Neil Sean from Journey. Yeah. Um, you know, he said that they've just stopped writing music because no one wants to hear new stuff from them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they'll yeah, still we, tour uh, and stuff, but it's, it's that idea of why should I continue to do this? No one wants to hear it. 
I've heard guys, I've heard Mick Jones from Foreigner say that. I've heard um, uh, the guys from Stick say that. It's just like, you know, they're not coming to see our old stuff. We're just going to go out and play, you know. Um, I think that's good. But I think as an artist, you always need to to keep moving forward and sure. keep creating. So I'm sure individually, guys like Neil Schoen continue to create and and compose and sure. and 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 try to break you know barriers and stuff as far as experimenting. But when he's in a band like Journey, he knows what his job is mm-hmm. and has give the people what they want. Yep. Yep. And uh, so some bands, you know, some bands, they just they try to avoid that at all costs because they, they think, oh, well, we're, we're washed up now. Right. You know? Right. And 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 I and I really think that that's where had Zeppelin continued on, you know, we're gotten back together. It might have been that situation for them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not. And it doesn't negate what had been done before, but it, I can see the frustration in, in that. You know, it's the. Yeah. uh it's the Harrison Ford's a grump about Han Solo until he gets to kill him off in the Force Awakens syndrome. Yeah, you know. So, um, so that's a uh, that's what is and what should never be. Interesting conversation coming off of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some tangents, okay. That's fine. That's fine. But we're talking about what is and what never should be, uh, and what should never be. Um, rolling right into uh, a song that sounds like I mean, like if you just look at the title. If I gave you three different titles and said, which of these comes from Sesame Street? You might say the lemon song. (laughs) Until you listen to it. That's right. Here we go. let him break out a little bit there jim oh i have no problem with that had to had to let that breathe a little bit i this yeah. song i mean this is this is blues all the way and you've got page and jones basically again like a duet you know taking the high end and the low end uh of the melody well you know that that plant's singing over and then if you listen bonzo's almost playing medley melody on his drums um, oh good call yeah it's absolutely an, and he often would mm-hmm. he often would um 
what a great tune, you know. Um, who who gets the the, the songwriting credit for uh, for um, the Lemon song? Do you, do you have access to that? Who gets the uh, let me, song? Let me see songwriting credit for the Lemon song. I don't have it. I can pull it up right now, though. Uh, yeah, why don't you do that? I'm just curious because it's this song is a combination of a couple of different songs. Uh, most notably, Robert Johnson's Traveling Riverside Blues, mm-hmm. which Led Zeppelin actually recorded a full version of for the BBC mm-hmm. right around this time when they were out promoting Led Zeppelin too. But they recorded Traveling Riverside Blues, and that's where you get the whole lemon stuff. Squeeze my lemon, all that stuff. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fantastic, this, good stuff. Yeah. This actually has uh, John Bonham with a writing credit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Chester Burnett is listed as well. Okay. Howlin' Very Wolf, good. a.k.a. the Howlin' Wolf. That's Howlin' Wolf, that's right. And, and he actually provided the inspiration for the main foundation of this song. It's basically a version of his song, Killing Floor, mm-hmm. which is a very well-known blues song. Uh, Zeppelin uh, would play it live back in the day. And um, so it just, that song kind of evolved into um, the, the Lemon song with the Traveling Riverside Blues lemon lyrics so uh and, and that's robert johnson and howlin wolf mm-hmm. so uh but uh robert johnson does he get a credit <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was not not no not here on now according to what i've got pulled up no it's just bonham and is listed first then chester burnett aka howlin wolf and then it just lists the rest of the guys from the band um <laughs> and then of course produced by jimmy page um but i am seeing that this is one of those songs that uh that they they had a lawsuit come down on them, um, mm-hmm. and, because uh, I don't think in original pressings of Led Zeppelin two, I don't think Chester Burnett, aka Howlin' Wolf, mm-hmm. got any credit, and that that's typical of Zeppelin for that era. Well, it says um, he he did receive the amount that they said they had to, they settled out of court with him. And the amount he receives is not disclosed, but he did receive a check for $45,123 from Art Music immediately following the suit. Oh, well, there so, you go. And then the subsequent releases would include a co-writer song credit for him. Ah, good. good. But, uh, yes, so that's, that's right, yeah. So Led Zeppelin was trying to pull a fast one there. But see, the way they understood it, and, and I mean, that's how the industry treated blues musicians back then, mm-hmm. was, uh, you know... It, a lot of their stuff was treated like public domain, right? Um, because because a lot of blues music is uh, derived from uh, old spirituals mm-hmm. and uh, poetry and um, other uh, other sources. So, and of course, a lot of these blues musicians they didn't have any sort of legal clout. They didn't know how to protect themselves, how to. Uh, how to take ownership of their material and, and, and they got taken advantage of quite, quite often by, uh, by recording, uh, like music labels and, and management and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, you know, I mean, it's, it wasn't uncommon for the industry to sort of forget about the old blues men when they would cover their songs or be inspired by their music. But by the seventies, some of those bigger names like a howling wolf or a muddy waters or, um, 
uh, Willie Dixon, you know, these guys, they, they were able to take a little more ownership of their career. So they had no problem with uh, sending their lawyers after a band like Led Zeppelin, especially when they saw how much money Led Zeppelin was bringing in. So, you know, um, nothing will get you uh, people to pay more attention to you than uh, your success. Right. <laughs> and uh, and that's when everyone starts looking at you and they, they want their piece of the pie. And through their career, Led Zeppelin, you know, either right or wrong, uh, even now to this day, are still being accused mm -hmm. of uh, liberally borrowing other people's material. Yeah, but I don't think that they, I mean, like that they ever just outright deny that they did that? I mean, is that... I, no, I when, think so. When you talk, <laughs> you do I, think so? Well, I mean, they did in that lawsuit with Spirit and sure. the Stairway to Heaven thing, which to me is total, totally debatable whether right. or not that even sounds like Stairway to Heaven. But, you know, they, they claim their similarities and Spirit wants their piece of the pie. So Led Zeppelin said, let's go to court. We'll, and Zeppelin won. We'll have to. When we get to Zeppelin 4, we'll have to do just a straight-up comparison. Like, sure. We'll have to have both sure. those tracks just do a straight-up comparison. Um the uh, the final track on side A, Jim, is is a much lighter, you know, it's a sweeter version, <laughs> if you will, of Zeppelin. After after all these blues and after the um, the light touch and the and the and the hard rock, I mean, this is this is like all right, we're going to calm you down before you have to turn the record over here. <laughs> so this is uh, thank you from Led Zeppelin. do something on this song they do something on this song jim that i love and it's the uh it's the fake out finish oh radio guys hate that <laughs> <laughs> radio guys hate that and whenever i hear this on the radio i always expect for the uh, dj to dump out of it when they hear that fade mm -hmm. if they're not you can always tell if they're experienced or not you know mm -hmm. it's, it's the first day on the job or if they've been there for a while if they let thank you return for that final Yes, yeah. Um, I, I have a confession to make about this song. I, I'm, I know you're familiar with Encomium that was released in the mid '90s. Yes, um, yeah, the cover, all cover versions, all of cover versions of these songs. The first, the first band I ever heard do this song was not Led Zeppelin. It was Duran Duran. Whoa! Yeah, um, I was. I did not get into Zeppelin until late in my high school career, um, mm -hmm. and and this came out. 
just prior to me getting into Zeppelin, and it was kind of Encomium was kind of my gateway to the band, them and my boss at Dairy Queen. Um, that that album oh, and my boss Dairy Queen. You know what? There was a poll out not too long ago that um, Led Zeppelin is the band most preferred by Dairy, by Dairy Queen, Queen employees. employees. Yeah. yeah, well, it was true. true. It was true back in the '90s, at least. And uh, <laughs> no, my boss, one of my bosses, he was a huge Zep head and just started handing me mixtapes and CDs to borrow and everything. Like, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. And, uh, but my entrance, my, really my gateway was encomium um, because Hootie and the Blowfish had a track on there and, uh, Hey, Hey, what can I do? And I was like, well, I like Hootie. All right. Right now. And, um, <laughs> and, and so from there it was just, it was on, but yeah, I'm embarrassed to say that, that my first, exposure this song was duran duran wow yeah amazing yes amazing i I don't even think i had ever even heard of duran duran by the uh but um (laughs) (laughs) no i i know i know duran i know hungry uh, like a wolf band um and and it's a band that's light years away from what led zeppelin is um but uh, that's yes. really interesting. That is really interesting that that was your introduction. Because this album itself is my gateway into Led Zeppelin. Right. I remember, like I said, I remember listening to it as a kid. Uh, my parents had an old pool table down in the basement. And I would walk around listening to this, you know, shooting pool and playing the, the pool cue like it was a guitar, like I was Jimmy Page. And uh, playing left-handed, too, which was totally incorrect. I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> I've since fixed that. Um so now whenever I air guitar, I do right-handed. No, I, I try to play real guitar. As a matter of fact, I do – this is one album I can pretty much play all the way through. Oh, nice. Um, not solos and stuff. Do Some, you, a little bit, a little bit, but, you know. For, do you have a just, Hammond organ set up for this song? We have an organ. I, it's not a Hammond, though. Mm. But um, uh, it was actually uh, – when they would take this song out on the road, John Paul Jones would play a Mellotron – um, keyboard on this and a Mellotron is something that would require uh, actual analog tape loops playing back within its structure so you would hit the key and it would it would play a tape Okay, that's how it worked so it was really easy the, the Mellotron would fall out of tune a lot and stuff and I, I've heard recordings from this era underground recordings of live Led Zeppelin performing Thank You where you can clearly hear that that Mellotron is out of tune but um most of the time it sounded perfect and it really would develop into quite a rocking jam when you would catch it live in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. I'd like to recommend, if you can ever find it, it's one of the most famous Led Zeppelin bootleg albums out there. It's called Led Zeppelin Live from Blueberry Hill. And um, it's a show from L.A. I believe the show is from 1970. And the thank you on that, it's epic. It's absolutely epic. And it has an amazing guitar solo in it. And uh, the Mellotron is in tune. And it's just a a great uh, CD. So that's Led Zeppelin Live at Blueberry Hill. They call it Live at Blueberry Hill because it's the only time, I believe, Led Zeppelin ever performed um, the song Blueberry Hill, you know, the old 50s rocker, uh, they performed it from start to finish in this uh, concert. And um, they did a lot of other interesting things in this concert, too. So if, if you are ever searching out good Led Zeppelin, you could probably find it on uh, YouTube. I'm surprised at how much 
Underground Led Zeppelin is available on YouTube. So oh, live yeah. from Blueberry Hill. Check it out for the version of Thank You. Uh, I believe it was the first song Robert actually wrote lyrics for, for Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I can't remember that, uh, 100% sure or not. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, it was, it's, it's a, again, another example of the light, but heavy and, uh, the guitar, uh, the, the actual rhythm for this is very similar to that song. Um, oh, what's that song? It's by, uh, I'm having a brain fart. So forget that. If yeah. I think of it, I'll, I'll bring it up later. Um, but uh, it's a, it, it's a, a really nice song, a song mm-hmm. that it's fun to play on guitar. And um, and again, it was a song that Zeppelin would play live up until, I think, the 73 tour. Mm-hmm. And then I believe it did return for the Page and Plant reunion. Um, but I don't think Led Zeppelin played it when they reunited at the O2 arena back in 2007. But I can't, I have to go back and listen to that. Yeah, a I've got to, so. I've got to check that album out. I've yeah. got that album. I don't know if it's on there. Um, I, I just need to back up real quick and, and let everyone know Mellotron, not to be confused with Megatron, the leader of the Decepticons. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I was, I was afraid people were going to get confused. Well, by that. you know, the, and, the last thing you want to do is go to a Led Zeppelin concert, afraid that, you know, one of the instruments is going to transform and try to take out Optimus Prime. Right, right. So, and then, <laughs> to make matters even worse, who's sitting next to you? Shia LaBeouf. That's a, <laughs> Oh, you mean Indy's son. Uh, he's smoking cigarettes during the whole show. Oh, what a jerk. I'm dying over here. What a jerk. Oh, <laughs> man. I, I really like Thank You, though. I, I It's one of those songs that I'll put on to just kind of chill out, you know, and, 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 and just... You know, it, it's an to me, it's a nighttime evening song where I'm just like, all right, I got to bring it down a few notches, and um, and and that's on that playlist for me is just kind of the kind of feel it, kind of chilling out music. To it. me, it 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 I like the song for what the band did with it live. Mm-hmm. It it turned into a whole different sort of beast when they would perform it live, mm. and Robert would even add a lyric at the end. Where he would go along with you know the guitar and the organ, he go bum ba bum ba bum. I want to thank you, and it was it just really works very well. And I think that's something he continued doing with Page and Plant as they would play the song live as well. So uh, yeah, search that one out. Try to find uh, Thank You Live, and uh, and and you'll see what I'm seeing, saying yes. that it's it. it it maintains all the things that make it a great studio song, but really expands it and turns it into a, much more of a jam showcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that we, they, they could play late in the, uh, in the uh, set before the encores and stuff. Well, it's worth mentioning live on Blueberry Hill. You can go over to YouTube and someone has uploaded that uh, entire album uh, in video form with uh mm-hmm. and they've got the timestamps marked for what goes where so um you can check that out just do a live live on blueberry hill um led zeppelin and it'll and it'll be one of your first things that you you pull up there nice so nice. There, that it's is. a classic that's yes. that's one of those just all-time legendary boot vinyl bootlegs from back in the day where you you knew you were at a really cool record store if they had that in the bins 
Well, speaking of live music, what we like to do to round out every show is play a live track. Um, this uh, for today, we're going to actually give you a, a glimpse into side B via a live version of Heartbreaker. Now, Jim, this is from I'm showing Vancouver from March of 1970. Is that where the Heartbreaker is from? Um, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Um, that's where I said it was from. Then that's where it's from. Um, that would be off of an, another one of those legendary vinyl bootlegs from back in the day. It was called uh, Mudslide or PB or PB Mudslide. I don't know what the PB stood for, but huh. uh, peanut butter peanut butter but uh it was i think that it was taken from an fm broadcast of a led zeppelin show and then uh began circulating amongst fans as uh the bootleg mudslide so this is uh live heartbreaker which is uh the track that kicks off side two of led zeppelin two and that will be the first track we talk about next time on rock out lead but uh you know i i just uh am throwing this version out there just so you get an idea of of just the sort of raw aggressive nature in which page would attack this song live and um and how he would improvise within that legendary solo of his that unaccompanied solo so uh here it is uh from Vancouver and uh thank you so much Steve I had a blast talking zeppelin with you I'm uh upset and ashamed it's taken us this long to get the led zeppelin too well it's, but, it's um, not like anything's been going on over on the uh on the star wars side of things jim star wars we got star wars we got with rebel force radio we got james bond with bondcast that's, that's right back. yes and 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 uh we're uh gearing up towards star wars celebration and uh there's just a lot going on we're gonna be doing smuggler's revenge out there so as soon as i get off the line with you i have to go back to work on that and uh so many other cool things happening, but I really want to make sure you and me get together more often, more frequently to talk about Led Zeppelin and work our way through this amazing catalog. And hey, you never know, you know, once we get through the albums, we can start discussing things like, you know, take a deep dive into some of those, some of those side projects like Jimmy Page and the Black Crows. Oh, yeah. Things yeah. of that nature, too, because uh, my fandom expands beyond Led Zeppelin. I'm, I'm a big uh a uh, fan um, and supporter of the guys as they've uh, forged ahead with solo careers and uh, side projects and uh, things they did even before Led Zeppelin, I find of great interest too. So there's tons to talk about, lots of great music, and uh, I really enjoy rapping Zeppelin with you, Steve. As do I, as do I. You can email us at rockoutloudpod at gmail.com. Just yeah. put the subject line lead, and I'll make sure Jim sees those or at least hears about them. And uh, you can uh, tweet us, Rock Out Loud Pod, on Twitter. Uh, and uh, go like the official Goliverse group. You can just go to geekoutonline.com slash group, and it'll take you right to the Facebook group. We've got a lot of fun stuff going on. Kristen's over there all the time throwing up videos and stuff. And so go show some lead love in, in, the, <laughs> in the group there. And uh, as Jim mentioned, Rebel Force Radio, Bondcast, it's all great stuff. You need to be checking it out if you're not. And why wouldn't you be? Mylanta, that's the Goliverse. We're all, we're into all this crap. So uh, we're going to take you out with Heartbreaker from Vancouver. Uh, have a good one, guys. We'll see you on the next Rock Out Lead. Bye. Then-